It is time for our children to go to children's church, and I'm going to ask them if they'll do something different today than they usually do, and that is, if you will go to the back of the room rather than come to the front, go to the back and around to, this, to my right, to your left, yeah, and uh, <laughs> down the side aisle. So maybe some uh, parents might help in that direction. Let's pray together. This is so full of beauty, this room, these children, this season, this community. And yet we are aware, keenly aware, O God, of the brokenness of the world around us, And frankly, the brokenness in places within each one of us. And so our coming this day is not to simply celebrate and affirm goodness, although we are grateful, but to look to you as the one, the only one, the way, the truth, and the life that can guide us toward wholeness and peace and life and joy. May churches this day be awakened May we become brave and vocal, sacrificial, and shaped by the one who is our center, even Jesus Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our older son, Bobby, worked in some of the finest restaurants here in the city of Louisville. He began his uh, restaurant career at Lily's just around the corner from the church here. He worked for some time at North End Cafe, and then finally he worked at uh, the Oak Room at the Seelbach Hotel downtown. Now, Bobby's skills ran more to the cooking than to the cleaning, Um, and that won't surprise you if you knew Bobby. Um, He became... um, someone on his way to being a full-fledged chef. He was gifted in concocting various dishes and combining tastes and textures in ways that um, kind of caught caught your palate and caught your interest. Cleaning was not exactly his forte, either at work or at home, and so often when he would be cooking in his apartment, his smoke alarm would go off. You know how that is, right? The oven's a little dirty. You're cooking. You're minding your own business. And all of a sudden, there's that sound that won't stop. And everyone springs into action. Someone grabs a magazine. Someone throws open the door. You go over. You start fanning and hoping for that moment when finally enough smoke is left that that awful sound will go away. Well, apparently that happened quite often in Bobby's apartment. So that at some point, he decided he'd had enough. He took down that smoke alarm and silenced it. And after the fire that raged through his apartment in the wee hours of the night in May 2007, among the few recognizable things in the kitchen that was gutted by the fire was the melted smoke alarm on the counter. It doesn't pay to silence the messenger. 
And so today as we hear these words, these somewhat offensive words from John, these words that feel out of sync with the season, what will we do with this messenger? Who has the audacity to say to those who come to hear him, you brood of vipers. In other words, you sons and daughters of snakes. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? You've got to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And don't start with that, I'm exempt because of who my family is. Because God can, can make uh, children of Abraham from the stones. So be aware that those things that don't play a part are going to be cut down and thrown away. It's kind of a smoke alarm. It's annoying. And there are a lot of people in our world, and maybe you're one of them, who says, I don't need to put up with this. I don't need to hear this. There's no fire. He's just blowing smoke himself. We just need to shut that down and not worry about it. There are others who hear it, and they say, Amen, brother. Those other people are really bad. I hope they listen to your message. And then there are those of us who hear his words, not as revolution words, but rather sort of the words of an old crank who's getting us to do things we don't really want to do. Making us up, waking us up to do our chores or to do our homework that we so dislike and would prefer to avoid. But then there are some who wake up, who hear the alarm, who know what it means, who wake up and respond. What might it mean for us to wake up and respond? Not literally wake up, although I'm sure there are some of you here today who are asleep right now with your eyes open. (laughs) But what might it mean to be fully conscious as you go throughout your day, as you live your life, as you listen to the news, as you encounter the challenges of the world that we live in? What might it mean to be fully awake, to see and assimilate these surroundings and and recognize your role in this world? I talked to a woman just last week who used this imagery with me. She said, I feel like I've been sleepwalking. I feel like I've just been going through the motions. I've even been at church, but I've not really listened. But something has awakened me. And now I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm, I'm listening to what's said. And, and it, it's connecting with, with the world around me and with my own life. Her life is just as complicated now as it was then, if not more so. But it's more vivid. And her life is, is content, but it's also connected with the world around us. It connects with the need. It connects when you hear the story about Newtown, Connecticut. You realize these are our kids and this matters. I I can't turn my head. 
James Atwood says, don't say you're shocked at these deaths. And more of us must admit that unless something changes, we expect there will be many more such massacres. Isn't it time for this nation, or I would say for at least the churches within this nation, to say we've had enough? We've had enough. When will people of faith awaken, he writes, to, and lead this gun-crazed country to adopt laws which will make our streets and our schools as safe as those in other developed nations? This is not a person who's against all guns. But he writes, any gun lover who continues to oppose any and all preventive measures to stop gun violence, serves an idol instead of the living God. To wake up to whatever it is that God has for us as a people of faith and to be willing to step into that with courage and conviction, not just our own, not just our own personal political proclivities, but The word of God. What is it that we're being called to do and say? John the Baptist provides this out of the ordinary message. And it is for us to wake up. He calls us out of ourselves. Out of the habits that that have been encouraged in us by the culture we live in. To grab more and hoard more and take more and win more and buy more guns in order to protect the stuff that we've won. Calling us out of that kind of life. And into a life of generosity. And self-giving. And sacrifice. And selflessness. The way of Jesus Christ. This is a world with real meaning. This is a world where our lives matter to God. This is where our lives count for something bigger and more beautiful than the world that the powers and principalities have set up before us. This world of having more stuff, of being part of a war machine, of of voting as they tell us to vote and doing what they tell us to do. John the Baptist comes along and says, if you have two coats and you see someone with none, give one of your coats away. The same with food. If you're a tax collector, don't take more than you're supposed to. Don't try to get the most you can. Be content. He says to the soldiers, be content with your wages. You see, faith ought to affect behavior. Faith ought to affect behavior. We ought to be different because we've gathered here this morning and heard John's words again. We ought to leave here different, awakened, ready for whatever it is that life will bring to us as individuals or as a community of faith, not as a way to win God's favor, but because of God's good favor. Do you hear the difference? Not as a way to win God's favor, but because of God's good favor. What will we do with this out-of-the-ordinary message? I have this group of pastor friends that I've been running with for some 25 years. We've called ourselves the Neighborhood 
We were all in Texas until one of us got away and fled to Kentucky. And, but we still get together on a regular basis, and we talk uh, by email a couple of times a week. One of the folks in the group is uh, a guy you've met, Kyle Childress, who has been here several times to speak and preach. And Kyle lives in East Texas, in Nacogdoches, home of the Stephen F. Austin State University Lumberjacks. It's a wonderful little school there. But Nacogdoches is, happens to be where the tar sands pipeline is coming through. And the companies are already there to make their plans and stake their claim on these properties. And there has been a group of people, mostly young people, who are convinced and convicted that it is their calling to block it, to stand over against it, what they perceive to be an environmental danger. And Kyle's church, which is really a very small congregation, has had for the last six or eight weeks some 30 or 40 of these blockaders showing up for church. These are kids who don't know church. Kyle talked to one girl who didn't know the story of David and Goliath. He told her the story, and she said, oh, that sounds hopeful. (laughs) But Kyle asked, why is it that the students at the Stephen F. Austin State University, three blocks away, don't make it to the church? But these tar sand pipeline blockaders, mostly secular kids, get up and pack themselves into cars and drive as much as three hours in order to come to Austin Heights Baptist Church on Sunday. And then he answers his own question. He says, the difference, it seems to me, is that the pipeline blockaders have a sense of being involved in something worthwhile. They're called to a purpose, and they know it's something bigger than they are. They realize that they are up against the principalities and the powers, as Paul would say, of this present darkness. Kyle said, when I talk about Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee and saying to the people, drop your nets and come and follow me, they get it. For that's what they've done. They've quit their jobs. They've sold their stuff, everything that won't fit in a backpack. And they have come down there to oppose the pipeline. And so even though they're secular, even though they know nothing of the Bible or church or theology, they come to church and they lean forward during the sermons. And afterwards they say, that's the best stuff I've ever heard. It's like they've woken up. My friend Larry observes, in response to Kyle, people who aren't hungry quit eating. The students at the university across the street, many of them are studying to become part of the powers, and they're not hungry. The blockaders who are fighting the powers are starved for a deeper spiritual nourishment, and they're finding it in your church. When you wake up, 
when amidst all the Christmas traditions, you wake up and you hear this out of the ordinary message and you realize it has substance and purpose, that it's more than just following rules and it's more than just a get-out-of-hell card, that it's about living fully, you realize this is good stuff. This matters in the world. This isn't just about going to church on Sunday. This is about living fully. Living holy. Holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y and H-O-L-Y. For maybe holy living is holy living. It's waking up and seeing. And finding that power that is only in God to help change this world. There is some good news in this text. Maybe you caught the irony at the end after John says all these things. Luke says, and with many other exhortations, John tells them the good news. I wanted to say, good news? Really? Help me here. This sounds awfully ominous, but there is good news. After me, John says, is coming one. He's so much greater than I, I can't even untie his sandals. And he'll baptize you with Holy Spirit, the very presence of this sacred love. And with the fire, with the energy to go out and change this world, to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff, what's important from what's not important. And to be part of God's work in this world today. This one comes to lead us in a new way. And it's why we're here today. Singing carols and having a beautiful orchestra and choir. Why we decorate the sanctuary and why we have this holiday we call Christmas. But wouldn't it be a tragedy? Wouldn't it be a tragedy? If we celebrate the birth of this Christ and somehow lost the message, let's pray together. May the message of life and love and hope and peace so activate us and animate us that we are profoundly changed not only as individuals, but Highland Baptist Church and all of our sister churches, may we be so profoundly and radically changed that your transforming love flows from us like water from an ever-flowing stream. In the name of living water, Jesus Christ, who came for us, we pray. Amen.